I'd like to invite you to turn with me in our continuing study of Ephesians, and we're in Ephesians chapter 6, in the second week of a series I'm calling Reframing Postmodern Parenting. And what I mean by that is I think even amongst Christian people, there is a succumbing to worldly philosophies when it comes to such strategic things like Parenting, like marriage that we've already talked about, to such an extent that we almost have to kind of reframe things and and look at things afresh and anew. What does God have to say about this? How do we do it God's providential ways instead of the postmodern worldly ways? And I want to ask you three questions as we start this morning. One is, do you want to be wise to learn From God's instruction and other people's modeling or even other people's mistakes? Or do you want to be smart and at at the very least learn from your own mistakes? Or do you want to be in the camp which the Bible would call a fool? Who would disregard the instruction of the Lord? And simply go the way that everyone else is going? Simply think the way that everyone else is thinking. Simply parent or grandparent everyone else the way everyone else is parenting and grandparenting. Three important questions we get to choose. To kind of illustrate this a little bit, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary a week ago yesterday. And as you might do in your anniversary, your birthday, you start thinking about the past a little bit. And I recalled to mind... The first year we were married, I was finishing my bachelor's degree in pastoral studies in Bible college. We lived in a small one-bedroom apartment together. And uh, at one end was the bedroom and a little sink. At the other end was the kitchen, a little seating area. In between was the most narrow hallway you could ever imagine that barely fit your body through. And the bathroom wasn't any better. There was just a stool in there and just a real small shower. Just enough space to make it to those two places. And... uh, We woke up, we slept in on a Saturday morning, enjoying a leisurely morning, and then we both realized we both had to use the bathroom at the same time. And so we're kind of chiding one another, and suddenly I get up, and this wasn't out of anger, okay, it was out of jest. We both start going for the bathroom. I shove her on the waterbed. We have a really wavy waterbed, so she lands and and I sprint for the bathroom, and I cut a right-hand turn, and I slip. And my pinky toe and the toe right next to it was separated by the corner of the wall. My pinky toe just went like that. that, Needless to say, it hurt immensely. I never broke a toe until I got married. (laughs) Uh, But I learned some things. And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to learn by pain. You know, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, before we finally get it. And so in that, there is a negative what not to do for the future that I learned. But there's also a positive, and then I'm relaying to you, husbands, if you're married, if your wife has to use the restroom, let her use it. Otherwise, God's going to judge you for your selfishness. (laughs) Well, today in our passage, there is a negative and a positive what not to do. We can learn from poor examples. 
But we can also learn from positive examples and positive instructions. So there's both a what not to do when it comes to parenting, grandparenting, and there's also a to do. So let's look at it. And I want to review briefly verses 1 through 3, where we, what we covered last week, in case you missed, so we can catch everyone up to speed and remind us, for those who were here, children, verse 1, it says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So last week we talked about God's game plan. A, a, a target, a vision of what I think we all want our kids to look like or where we want them to end up and grandkids. We talked about three W's that we want them to have a good life or as it says here, that it may be well with them, a wide life, a long life, in other words, and then a wise walk, which we're going to see in verse four again. So we talked about that's the target, the simple vision. We all want that. God wants that. And then we discussed the mission of objectives. Whoops. It said, uh, first of all, boy, help me <laughs> turn this off. If you can get us back there, Doug or Vicki, that'd be great. Uh, we looked at how that young ones are to recognize their primary responsibility to obey and honor their parents. It starts off and we mentioned this. Isn't it great? That God cares for you and addresses you even more than the parents in this passage. It speaks to you and challenges you as young people to obey and honor your parents. And then by implication, parents, your mission objective is to help your kids learn their primary responsibility to obey and to honor. Now, lest you... Start checking out if you're not a parent or a grandparent. I'm lying awake last night, not able to sleep, so I'm praying. and not really thinking about my message yet. But then all of a sudden, the Lord brings to my mind and heart the Great Commission. I want you to do something. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Just take your index finger, point to your chest, your shoulder for a second. Okay, I want to personalize this passage for a minute. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Can you say that? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said to you, to his disciples, but by implications passed down to us. What for? What's the authority given to do? To go. And as you are going to evangelize and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then what? Teach them to... Do you know this passage? Teach them to obey the commands of the Lord. You see, even if you're not a parent, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to make disciples. And in the process of influencing and helping others to become more mature, mature in their faith, you must help them with this primary objective to obey Christ's commands. And that, we looked at last week from Deuteronomy, is wisdom. Okay, so now let's look at the first negative in this passage as it addresses fathers what not to do. Oh. 
I'm going to turn this off. If it's not there, I'll ask you to click it. Thank you. So what not to do? Now, just by implication, it says here, let's read it first. Verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, okay, remember, we're including not just fathers and mothers, but anyone. But this really is a charge that includes moms. Because in other places of Scripture, like this passage in 1 Timothy 5 where it says bring up or nurture, the same charge is given to women in terms of raising their kids. Okay, so this is for everyone. There's implications for everyone here. What does it mean? Do not provoke, or some of your translations might say, do not exasperate your children to anger or wrath. What does that mean? It means to cause someone to feel resentment, to make them feel resentful or bitter. And then here's another definition. Listen to this, because I think this is a great, great definition. It can also carry the idea to cause one to quit angry. To quit angry. So if our objective is to produce kids, grandkids, disciples, who know God's commands and obey them, the very last thing we want them to do is to quit on that, right? So it would behoove us to understand what does it look like to exasperate someone to the point where they want to quit on following God so we can avoid that, right? So let's consider that. Let's look at some ways that we can exasperate kids or disciples to quit on God. One, first of all, is to suffocate through overprotection. About four and a half years ago, Alona and I went to Guatemala City to get Isabella. We had signed a contract. We knew that she was going to be ours. At least we hoped and we prayed. It took almost a year to get us to that point. The first time we met her was in a a meeting room in the hotel where parents meet their kids for the first time. In this case, we had a caregiver that was taking care of Isabella for the first year of her life. She didn't know how to walk very well yet, so she was using the uh, uh, coffee table in the center of the room to kind of sturdy herself and walk around it as we were visiting. And like many toddlers do in such situations, she just kind of stopped for a second, lost her balance, and then boom. And then she started wailing and screaming. And just so you understand, it wasn't the kind of fall that should produce that. You know, it was just a simple flump. If, I mean, it's probably smashed everything inside, but it shouldn't have hurt her, okay? And then immediately, it's interesting how that even if you can't understand the language, you know exactly what they're saying. The, 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 the caregiver for Isabella started spurting something off in Spanish, running to her aid and just doting over, oh, 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 you're okay, and holding her, are you okay? And we were thinking, huh, that's interesting. So when we got Isabella back, and she started doing the same thing as we said, okay, you're okay. Get up. You can do it. Try it again. She was being doted on too much. Sometimes parents can cause exasperation. Their kids, their grandkids, their disciples to quit on God because they're overprotective. Too much hands on. 
It starts when they're young, but it continues on as well. When I was a youth pastor, I remember some some parents being so concerned for their kids, which was a great concern, but they never allowed them to start entering in the real world before they were let go. We're sending some graduates off. And inevitably what happened was, is when they got their freedoms and, and for the first time in their life were exposed to worldly things, what do you think happened? They succumbed. Or sometimes they were so over-suffocated by their parents' rule and regulations that, that they just wanted to rebel. They wanted out altogether. So can, conversely, however, here's another way we can exasperate kids, grandkids, disciples. Ruin through overindulgence. That's the flip side. Being too permissive. Not establishing any boundaries, any guidelines, and any consequences for that. Last week we talked about one of the greatest needs that kids have is a sense of security. A sense of significance. God knows how we are made as adults and kids. We need those boundaries to feel secure and to feel Loved and cared for. And to feel a freedom to operate within those boundaries. If there's no boundaries, there could be a quitting on God. I remember it was interesting when, and we're going to talk more about this next, next week. And it's not politically correct to talk about this anymore. But we spanked our kids when they were younger. And Isabella still. Every once in a while, the boys still. We're going to talk about that from a biblical perspective next week. But I remember, and I see it in Isabella, and I remember the boys that if it had been a time since they had that kind of discipline, it almost seemed like they wanted it. And they went out of their way to get into trouble because they just wanted to see, do we still love them enough to give, give them those boundaries and hold to those boundaries? And the same thing can be true if we don't give them enough attention. So if we're Overly excessive in our discipline, but not balancing that out with affirmations and care and time just hanging out without correction. And that brings us to number three. Is this another way you can exasperate? Now, just think about this while we're talking about these things. Think about when you grew up. Those things that you felt were unfair that caused you anger. In extent, to an extent where you felt exasperated and didn't want to follow your parents' instructions. Aside from normal rebellion, but, you know, maybe legitimate mistakes they made. Well, this is one of them when the expectations are too severe or the discipline is too severe or where it's not balanced with loving care and time. For example, expecting a five-year-old being to behave like a ten-year-old. A 10-year-old like a 16-year-old or a 16-year-old like a full-grown adult. Now, parents and grandparents, isn't it easy to do that sometimes? Yeah, they shouldn't be acting like that. I remember with my dad in terms of this, this line of thought, the, the expectations seemed to be whole, so high I could never achieve what he was asking for in a way that I felt that I really pleased him. It just like was never good enough. Many kids can feel the same if their parents are pushing them 
to achieve certain things in sports or academics that really doesn't fit them or in in music. Or, you know, comments that parents make, well, why don't you be like more like your brother or sister? That's devastating. There's enough of that that they put on themselves, the pressures they experience as siblings. And just to give you another idea of this, I remember one time when I was you know, one of those days when I was a kid and I'm bored. So I'm laying on the floor, you know, just fidgety, staring up at the ceiling. It's probably six or seven or something like that. I'm waving my hands around and then I stick up my middle finger and I'm waving it around in the air. And all of a sudden, whack, get slapped in the face by one of my parents. And I'm sitting there, what? What did I do? I didn't know what it meant to, you know, stick up your middle finger. I had no clue. I felt like I was so treated with a sense of injustice. It was unfair. What does that do? It does one of two things. It breaks a heart to oblivion or it creates an anger. Both of which, if continued on, can cause someone to quit on God. Favoritism is another one. Favoritism. And we see a great example of this in Genesis 37, 3 through 4. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Most of us are familiar with this story. Out of all of Joseph's brothers... Joseph was treated with preferential treatment, with extraordinary favor. All the brothers saw it. All of them experienced it. They got angry as a result, so angry. They wanted to get back at their dad and back at Joseph. And they sold him in as a slave to Egypt. And we know the rest of the story. They even, they even concocted this Great, great happening of being mauled by a wild beast. Favoritism can be dangerous. But perhaps one of the greatest ways parents can exasperate their kids is when a parent or grandparent's walk doesn't match their talk. When they're living a hypocritical life, when they're saying one thing, expecting one thing and living another. The other pastor, Dan, I've been thinking more of Liberia since uh, Pastor Moses has been here, was talking about this principle in Liberia in our Bible conference, and he taught everyone there this phrase. I had to write it down because I couldn't get it. It took me a while. But he said this, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Everybody's like, huh? You want me to say that again? <laughs> your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Pretty simple, isn't it? When you're saying one thing, but living a different thing. So those are some examples of maybe things we shouldn't be doing. And maybe God has showed you 
ah, this is something you need to stop doing. You need to change this. Would you respond to that? Well, let's switch gears and go to the positive instruction of this passage. What to do. And we see the transition in the word but, the contrast. Fathers, mothers, disciples, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Don't throw your wife on the bed when she's got to use the restroom. Do let her use it first. And let's talk about modeling your instruction again, just for reemphasis. Turn with me, if you will, page 691, if you're using your pew Bible, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This was the book we taught through in Liberia, and I had the opportunity of speaking on uh, chapter 2. In the context, Paul is trying to mentor Titus, a pastor who was left in Crete to set up churches and leaders in those churches. Paul is encouraging Titus to think about the different age groups represented in his church and how he was going to lead them and instruct them. It starts off addressing, first of all, how he was to teach the older men. Look at verse 2. It says, well, verse 1, first of all, here's some great content we should pass along to our kids, grandkids, and disciples. Speak the things which are proper for what? Sound doctrine. We need to be teaching those principles of sound doctrine. Through letters like this, through Bible stories, and so on. But then it says... Titus, teach the older men and look at this list. Be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. That's quite a list, right? Now drop down to verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men, the younger people in your congregation to what? Be sober-minded or (laughs) self-controlled. I find some humor in this. Give all these instructions to those who are older in the Lord and older in age. This is what you need to be. And then when it comes to the younger people, one thing, be self-controlled. Think rightly and then act rightly. If we could get our kids, grandkids, our disciples to just do that alone, wouldn't that be a lot of progress? Be self-controlled, sober-minded. Think biblically, then act biblically. So self-control, but there's another principle, I think, in these these observations from these, this passage and these teachings is. I think we need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. It's two things, self-controlled and major on the majors. See, I don't know if this is true of you, but sometimes I fall into the trap like everything is a big thing. And after a while, you feel like being that excessive parent that, that has too many expectations. And all you're doing is riding your kids. And there are seasons where that's where you, what you need to do. Constant discipline. And then there's the phase just stops. Something, they snap out of it. That's what I've noticed anyway. But major on the majors, understand discernment from God, what really matters, and then hold the line on those things and and the others, not so much. 
Well, verse 7 in the NIV says, In all things, in all your instruction, be a pattern or a model. That's a carbon copy. If you want to write this verse down, you can because it's not in your notes. But Luke 6.40, Jesus said this, When a disciple or student is fully trained, he will be just like his teacher or his master. So, let's pause for a moment. And if you're taking notes, just lean back and stop and listen. And I'd encourage you, I'd like to ask you just to pause and ask God, Lord, what it is, what what it is, what is it you're trying to speak to me right now? What is it that I need to stop doing? My parenting, grandparenting, and my discipling relationships, what does it need, what is it that I need to start doing? As it goes on to say in verse 7 and 8 of Titus, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, showing integrity, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Ask yourself, Lord, is, is the conduct that I have, is the words that I say, is my practices what I want my kids to be like? Even more specifically, here's some thoughts. Think about them as I read and listen to what the Spirit may say to you. Would you want your kids, your grandkids, your disciples to have the practices like you do in these areas? Would you want your kids, your disciples, your grandkids to read the Bible and study the Bible like you read and study the Bible? Or to pray like you pray? Or to watch what you watch? To read what you read. Would you want your kids, grandkids, your disciples to deal with anger or disappointments as you deal with those? Or trials and tribulation? Would you want them to treat your spouse like you treat your spouse? Here's a sobering question. Would you like your kids, your grandkids, your disciples... To be like you, if you could snap your fingers and they would be like you right now, how would you feel about that? Is there anything inside of you who would say, oh, God forbid? That's a good indication that maybe that's one of those areas that God wants you to target. One of those things to stop doing or to start doing. And here's another bullet point. It's hard to impart if you don't imbibe. It's kind of a phrase that caught my mind. It's hard to impart something if you don't embody it. And you imbibe it, imbibe it in those things yourself. Going back to Titus chapter 2. Verse 6 says, likewise exhort. The Greek word there is parakaleo, and here's kind of the English spelling of it. It means to call or to challenge. Para is to come alongside. Kaleo is to call, to challenge, to warn. Similar word is used of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. As a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives calls us to action, challenges us, comforts us, warns us. That is how we are to go about our teaching as we model what we're asking them to do. 
Now, turn with me to one other passage, and we'll close with this this passage. 685, if you're using the Pew Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Now, as far as we know, Paul didn't have any physical kids of his own. But he still viewed himself as a parent. He had multiple spiritual children. And one of the encouraging things I want to encourage you single moms and single dads from this passage is, even if you don't have the other, whether it's the mom or dad in your situation, by God's grace and his strength, it's possible that he can provide you to be both for your kids. To give you what you need to be both the motherly influence and the, the fatherly influence to your kids. Well, where do you get that? Because Paul used the same language. He viewed himself in a motherly side of things and also in a fatherly way. Look at what it says as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, verse 7. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes. Her own children. That's the same word in Ephesians. Build up, to bring up, to nurture in the ways of the Lord. That's how I viewed you as a mother nurturing his children or her children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. There's something important not to miss here. One of the things I felt the Lord prompting my heart some time ago is... Was a, was a spirit whisper, something like this. Start sharing with your kids the things you are learning and even your own struggles so they can struggle with you and pray with you. That's transparency. That's what Paul is saying here is we imparted not to you just the instruction, but the own things we are going through because we wanted to be that model for you to not just accept our teaching, but to catch What we modeled. He goes on, verse 9 For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. There's another great principle here for parenting is we shouldn't expect that it's going to be easy. It's going to be toilsome. It's going to involve a lot of labor, a lot of selflessness. Paul had that heart for the people he parented. Discipled. And he goes on in verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved amongst ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted. Here's the same word. Parakaleo. Exhorted and comforted and charged. We're going to look at those three verbs in just a minute. Every one of you. And then here it is. As a father. He switches Roles as a father does his own children. Why? The objective is the same. That you would walk worthy of God. To bring him glory, that you would be obedient, in other words. The three things exhorted, there's there's three metaphors here that I want to share with you, beginning with the letter C. Metaphors to embody. One is that encouraging cheerleader. Now, for some of you guys like me, when I think a uh, cheerleader is like, uh, I can't identify. I don't want to be a cheerleader. 
Okay, so you can call yourself a stuntman then. All right, a stuntman who cheers, if that's the way you want to view it. But encouraging, you know, as Jake has always said, Pastor Jake, the attaboys. Now, it was great for me to read the paper this week about John and his accomplishments and two, two medals in state. And when he started, he didn't really, he hated swimming, but he stuck with it. And I was just, there should be that sense of like, I, said, I, I felt like, oh man, I'm proud of that guy. And then when Matt was up here sharing his uh, thing, oh, it's like, that was so exciting. We should encourage and affirm such accomplish, accomplishments and understand that each person is different in doing so. I thought of my boys, Seth and Joel, uh, for Mother's Day, jo- Seth made this wonderful card. Very, very thoughtful, and it was several pages describing all the things he appreciated. I said, man, Seth, I just really appreciate the work you put into that, the thought you put in that, and that meant so much to your mom. And then Joel received the Musician of the Year Award in his piano lessons as recital last time. He said, oh, man, I'm so proud of you. Paul did that kind of thing with the people he led. He encouraged them, was their cheerleader, but was also, secondly, a coach for them, a comforter. The idea is the arm around. Sometimes you might see your kids, your grandkids, or those you're discipling, and those in the body start veering offline, and you get concerned about it. Well, in love, say something. For example, if your child is developing a friendship where you're concerned about the influences of the other person on your child, you have to say something in an encouraging way. And you talk with them about it. So do we understand this? Yes. So let's work on you know, some other friendships. Yeah, I get that. So it's the encouraging coach. It's a little gentle instruction, but also involving them. But then there's those times, that's the word, kind of like what it says here, comforted. But then there's times where you have to charge them. And that is being a change agent where you draw the line in the sand and you say, okay, are we clear on what the boundary line is? What's going to happen if you cross it? Consequences are going to come quick, baby. (laughs) And they know that. And there's times Paul had to put on that hat in his spiritual parenting. We're going to talk more about how to bring about that type of change agent coaching next week. But as we wrap up today, I again want to ask, what is God asking you to do or not do? And I encourage you just to target one or two areas. Don't get overwhelmed with thinking about, oh, I need to change this, this, and this. Ask the Lord, even now as we pray and as you're thinking, what are those one or two things? I need to stop doing or start doing. And then respond to him in that. And again, do you want to be wise? Do you want to be smart? Or do you want to be a fool? How you respond to the prompts will determine where you end in that. In your bulletins, there's a card that looks like this. And I put it in there. This is just some thoughts I have in my mission statement under the role I've described as, as my role as a father. And I've turned it into a prayer. 
I just want to encourage you to think about using this as a prayer every day of this week to see what changes in your thinking and heart God might provoke through it. You In the blank there, you put the name of your kids, grandkids, or people you're discipling. And then if you're married, you put by loving and serving their mom and dad. And it really talks about asking God for wisdom to understand your child, to know where their limits are, when to love them, when to counsel them, when to coach them, when to challenge them, and so on. And I encourage you just to use that as a, as a prayer prompt each day this week. And continue it on if you want later on, or, or adapt it to fit your own personality. One more thing to pass along, as we, uh, and then we'll wrap up in prayer. We need as parents and grandparents and the disciples an understanding that we're going to make mistakes. Our kids are going to make mistakes. Listen to what I think is a great summary of Ephesians 6.4. In a book called The Strong Family, Chuck Swindoll writes about the importance of being reasonable in our parenting and our discipling. Listen, it says, in, in it all, you must be reasonable. Perfect children do not live in your home or mine. Neither do perfect parents. Understand there will be times when you will break your own rules. To live under the assault of constant guilt will do neither you nor your family any good. For lack of a better way to put it, leave a little wobble room. Try very hard not to demand perfection or to bring up past and forgiven wrongs or to set your expectation level too high. A family must remain a team. That means you must pull together, flex, adjust, give, take. And when children grow up in a reasonable environment, they feel the freedom to fail without a ton of guilt falling all over them. They also grow up with better memories of how things were in their younger years. Isn't that good? Some great, great reminders there. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your grace, for our sins, for our mistakes, for our oversights. We also thank you, Lord, for your clear instruction, for the power of the Holy Spirit to obey you. I pray, Lord, that we would follow your prompts that you've laid in our hearts, ways that you specifically have indicated to each one how to apply this. And I pray that if that hasn't happened, that you would be so gracious and merciful to make that happen, that we would leave here and that we would ask you for help, we'd seek you for help to make those changes. Those things we shouldn't do or those things we should do. And Lord, I just pray too that if there's anyone who doesn't know you today, that they would realize to be an effective parent, grandparent, or influencer of others, we must first come to know you as our Lord and Savior. And if they don't know how, they would seek someone out today to ask. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.